0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 12 of The Teacher's Promise. I'm still Brett Hansen, and I'm still honored to help celebrate, inspire, and nurture educators around the world by sharing our stories and exploring important ideas that will make us all better educators. This week, we set sail, not for international waters, but international classrooms. Ellen and Mark have traveled the world teaching kids of all colors, sizes, ages, nationalities, languages, and levels. What a way to see the world. If you're interested in teaching abroad or just want to hear stories about teaching abroad, this is the episode for you. Next week, we'll meet Stephen Jacobson, a caring and dedicated teacher at T.J. Walker Middle School in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin, who reaped the rewards of great teachers when he was a kid and knew he needed to pay back all that love. His story will touch your heart. For now, let's see the world. Uh, This week, we have a couple of extraordinary teachers who have literally traveled and taught all around the world. Mark Kolinsky and Ellen Levenhagen are a teaching team, um, a couple of people who have been lots of places, done lots of interesting things, and are going to share with us how to teach globally, abroad, in lots of different places, and why it's such a wonderful thing to do. Mark, Ellen, thanks for joining the show.
1: Oh, you bet. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's a
2: pleasure
0: to talk with you. Great, so I think everybody's gonna have one of the same questions that I do. How did you get started teaching abroad? How, how, do you, how does one begin this kind of career?
2: Well, for us, we, we were introduced to the idea of international teaching when we were in university. And uh, we, we, we ended up uh, becoming uh, friends with a couple who were um, back doing a sabbatical. Uh, he was doing an administrative credential. And we went out to their little cabin out in, um, in, the, in the hills of Southern Illinois. And, um, and inside this cabin um, was just this amazing collection of African sculptures and, and art. And we were just kind of awed by that because we were both art students also. So we said, well, how, where did you get these? How, tell us a story about these. And they said, well, we're international teachers. We teach in Burkino, Burkino Faso Burkino. in the city of Ouagadougou. <laughs> and we were just so just just the name itself was just so exotic and it just really um uh, sparked a, a real keen interest in, in us. We, we already knew we wanted to, to live overseas. Um, we, we actually, when we graduated from college, we spent six months on a motorcycle traveling through Europe. And we actually were so in love with our our vagabond life in, in Europe. We, 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 we without any experience, we went to a few places looking for jobs, but we did which we didn't score. But um, we ended up uh, that that seed was planted, and we um, continued to. Think about it. And then in the mid 80s, Ellen went back to um, school to get a teaching credential. And uh, when by the time she finished that, I'd already put in six years at Gibraltar. And uh, we were we were ready. And uh, we went to Northern Iowa Recruitment Fair, which was one of the uh, first and oldest of the big international school recruitment fairs. And we, um, you know, put her, put her, put it out there. And, uh, it was a little, t- it was a big ask because, uh, Ellen didn't have any experience and they usually it's, it's pretty mandatory that you have to have experience, but we ended up in Kuwait right after the first Gulf war in 92, or we were recruited in 91 and, uh, we, uh, we got our first job, and um, and and it, it, we never, we didn't look back from there.
1: Yeah, often um, in, a, in an international situation like that, a recruitment fair you 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 kind of have you can't have choices. You just got to go with what's offered to you as for your first time. Um, you don't really know anybody, and so you just kind of sit there in front of uh, superintendents and just do the best that you can, you know, just talking about your passions and why you want to teach and so forth. So you kind of have to say yes to something. And Kuwait was not our first choice by any means, but it got our foot in the door and we did it for two years. And uh, and then we were able to make contacts and we ended up going to Malaysia, which was just the beginning of a, of a dream come true. So,
0: so. So in Kuwait, did you teach at like a US school or an international school what what type of school was that in Kuwait
1: yeah it was it was called the ASK American School in Kuwait and so we did have quite a few american students british students but we also had quite a few arab students and and students that actually lived in Kuwait so because it was not public and it did cost you know quite a bit of money in compared to public schools um, we got some some of the wealthiest Arabs, uh, probably living in Kuwait. So it was very diverse, and that was the best experience, you know, to teach in a very diverse school. You know, where at, people came in and there are and mothers picked their kids up, and, and half of my students were called Abdullah. And, then,
2: and of course, it was a very strange time to be, you know, to to make your entry into an international school yeah. because it was for us, you know, it was it was truly exotic because it's a it's a country that's just out of war, so there's still sand sand Bag emplacements yeah. placements and ditches and trenches um, that were still used. Um, doorways had machine gun bullet holes all around right. them. There were, you know, oil oil lakes all over the place when the, from the fires they had started. It was a monarchy, and so it was the yeah. first time ever living in a in a in a in a true monarchy. And second, and then thirdly, it was um, it was it was full on prohibition we didn't there was no alcohol no. <laughs> uh, available so um so a lot of a lot of first for us but it was it was it was it was absolutely exotic Quite an experience. For, really because of all those things um and plus being in the middle east so it gave us uh, oh. great access to africa uh, europe um Cairo, and we other other Egypt. middle eastern um countries so yeah, yeah. so it was yeah, great that's
0: that's kind of amazing cuz at that time i was in the seal teams and i mean it just By chance, I didn't end up going to the Middle East, but I could have been there on the other side in a very different position. So after Kuwait, you say you went to Malaysia. How did you like Malaysia?
2: Well, Malaysia was fabulous. We ended up in our, at the middle of our second year in Kuwait, we knew we weren't going to stay there. It wasn't really our cup of tea and we were aggressively looking elsewhere. So we went to a, a recruitment fair run by search associates in Bali. Um, a wonderful place to go look for a job, um, and we ended up um, with a number of offers. But we 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 selected Malaysia because at that point, just anybody you talked to said if, if they said if there's one place that you could get to, if you can possibly get a job, it's in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. It's just it's got everything. It's 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 got natural beauty. It's got the oceans. Um, it's got the exotic um, Southeast Asian culture um, cuisine all the things that sort of drive um, what our interest is uh, in, in, um, in travel and Uh, So we ended up there. and We we spent uh, four wonderful years there.
1: Yeah, it it really was. And we're still we have so many different groups of friends that we've met from in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, Just a week ago, we went to a reunion with a group from uh, KL and now they're teaching in Doha and they've been teaching in Japan and we taught with them there. They've been teaching in South America. And so people, you start in a place and you meet people and then you watch them have children. You watch their children grow up and you just stay friends. And when you meet, you know, after 30 years, the conversations are say, hey, do you guys remember going to Bali? Do you remember going to Kota Kinabalu? You remember doing that? And, and so the, it's, they're different conversations, I think, than, than teachers probably have here. And, and, and the students, too, are great memories. So I think,
2: I think that Ellen's point is really good because it, I think one of the main differences between teaching internationally and teaching in the States is the, um, is the sense of community that you develop with your colleagues um it's yeah it's really um the the relationships you de- you develop are are really deep they're meaningful they're intense because yeah. you know everybody's going to be moving on in about four or five years um at least many of the people do that um, that was certainly our mo when we, we went into this and so um it's uh and the school becomes the, the center of that community, too, not just for the teachers, but for the families um, um, and everybody involved with the school. So, so many things happen. It's like a town square. So many things happen yeah. at the school um, for the expat community um, and also for, for us making friends. And, of course, for us, we were in our mid 30s at that point, And so we were much more socially engaged than <laughs> we are now. But it was um, it was a time when we really did develop some really strong relationships with both with both our colleagues and with the parents um, yes yes um,
1: it becomes your family i mean and we were invited to um, parents homes for dinner (laughs) you know i mean how how many teachers here are invited to their students homes Mm -hmm. on a a friday or saturday night it's just really uh it's very homey you become friends uh, and your students become your friends too which is, you know, so much what the compassion thing is all about. And because they depend on you and you depend on them. Um, So it is a very tight community.
0: So how how big were these schools? Most part, I mean, were they about the same size? Were some much larger?
2: Um, Some were larger, some were smaller. I mean, the schools we worked in were all about um, 1,500, somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 students. That's K-12. And except for Singapore American School, uh, which was, Probably it's the largest um, single campus um, American or, or international school in the world, which is over four thousand students. Yeah. Uh, Shanghai had about um, 30, 30, uh, 3,200 students, but that was on two different campuses. Right. So, um, uh, and of course, those those schools is uh, like Shanghai. I think has a different enrollment at this point than it did when we were there. Um, so, yeah. but, but generally about 1,500 um, students K-12, which I guess mm-hmm. is about like what you would have in Sturgeon Bay or Southern Door. A smaller
0: community. Yeah, Southern Door, about 1,200. So yeah, it's about mm-hmm. the same size for the district. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you've already talked about compassion. You know, the, the this podcast is focused on compassion and we do want to hear about that. But I think people would be really curious to hear about the financial parts. Um, you know, <laughs> it's expensive to travel and salary. Can you tell our audience a little bit about... Um, you know, the salary and the benefits and the financial pros and cons of teaching abroad?
1: Well, that is probably the biggest pro. Well, the travel, of course, and the experience of living in foreign countries. But, oh, my gosh, Brett, the the salaries, especially in Asia, they were – they were so much more, I think, than what teachers are making here because we got a really good salary and I had only been teaching for two years and I still probably started with more than what teachers end up with here. And, and you got your, um, your rent paid for, so your housing was paid for. Um, you got a stipend to fly home every summer you got your insurance covered you got you know, so all your medical retirement. bills retirement and then you got a really nice retirement package at the end of every year so you know we didn't get the you know the pensions that teachers get here but we took our our invest we took our our Money that the school gave us every our savings and just put it into funds. So, so, so
2: the other thing is, is that um, it's, I think it's really important to know that when you when you earn foreign earned income, you're you're a bona fide foreign resident. Um, right. So you you're earning foreign earned income, and that that allows you to take a foreign earned income um, tax exclusion. Tax. So you don't you don't have to pay any taxes on income under a hundred. and I think it's like one hundred and one dollars, one hundred ten dollars, or something like that. Yeah. One hundred one ten thousand dollars. No. So it's about a little over a hundred thousand dollars. You're tax free. Um, so you have to report, of course, um, um, all international teachers who are American have to report their taxes, but you, um, but that's, that's a big deal. So if you're, if you're um, starting it in your is 50,000, um, but you're, you're not paying any taxes on that. Um, and in many of the countries we worked in, we also didn't have to pay taxes in because either the school picked up the taxes right. or the country forgave them. Or we had like, in, we were just in Vienna. We had a tax treaty with Vienna in Shanghai. The school paid our taxes um, in Kuwait, the school paid our taxes. And then, um, but, but other in places like in Malaysia and Singapore, we had to pay taxes, but they were pretty low. Um, they weren't that high. So, um, again so imagine what if you were making fifty thousand clear after taxes um, um, so that that's that's was um, one of the benefits and of course many of the schools paid much more than that um, and you still had a very low tax um, liability involved with all that so it's it was, it was, that, that was a big benefit. Yeah. And I think the other one is they, they, the school was, some schools were more generous than others with their total packages, but generally the packages were very strong, very attractive. And I think this is something that kind of goes back to maybe digging back into the compassion part of it. Um, the, this, the boards and the, the parents of the communities that, um, that, that really own these schools, it would, they were parent, Community-owned schools, just just like a public school is here, um, but they're private. So there's no there's no owner of these schools. They're 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 owned by the community that's have, or, um, of the families who send their kids there. They um, there's usually a, a an automatic board member who's on the, from the U.S. Embassy. That um, every school we worked in had a um, a board member that seat that was reserved for U.S. Embassy, and then um, other than that, they were voted in. Uh, from the parent community Um, but one of the important things to say about that is that the school the board made it as a a mission made it as a a goal to create packages that um, attracted the very best teachers they could get but it wasn't just attract it was to attract and retain so so really they they their policy was very specific in this they wanted the best teachers they could possibly get internationally for their for their children so it's a it was a kind of a high-powered parent community, um, highly educated, um, and uh, very aggressive in terms of having very strong educational institution for their kids. Yes. Yeah, and
0: that is an important point in a way that, um, you know, we show respect to, to professionals. I um, try really hard to stay away from too much talk about uh, politics or money on the podcast, because it's, <laughs> for educators in the United States, it can be, um, you know, a, a dark hole to slip down into. But that is good news. That um, you know, the, traveling and teaching abroad, um, the, the the organizations try to show their respect financially, the way so many other organizations mm-hmm. or so many other professions are um, respected in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and that's I great should, news. Yeah.
2: I should just I should, I should just put a caveat out there. Um, we're we're speaking from a I think a, a somewhat limited perspective when it comes to the quality of schools. We were very very fortunate, and we ended up in a pretty much all blue chip schools, meaning they were the very top schools in any of the capitals that we worked in. Um, and so that so there were, in, in many of the capitals, there were uh, multiple international schools of various quality. So there was a range of quality and, and facilities that these schools. Um, and and of course, and that was directly related to the tuitions that they charged. So, sure. um, so we were always a, a very high tuition school, but also a very high quality school with usually Really uh, amazing facilities, um, excellent staff, and really yeah. strong parent community. Yeah. So that so that's that's our our perspective is limited to that very high end. I, we can't really speak about the um, um, the uh, quality, the professional um, um, quality of, of the schools that um, we didn't work in, and maybe um, have slightly lower
0: um, tuitions. Sure, that's understandable. So back to the compassion uh, perspective what what did you notice that was different about teacher relationships with students abroad was was there anything noticeably different or would it have seemed like um a high quality classroom in the United States
1: well one thing Brett is um our classes were My class, my biggest class was usually 22 students. And as an art teacher, I always said, you know, the the counselor would come and say, Ellen, can you take one more person? They really want to take your class. I'm like, oh, okay. So I would go up to 22, but, and I know that in the States, classes are a little bit bigger than that, you know? And so, and as an art teacher, you just, you only have so much space in your art room. But um, so that was one thing. Our class, our class sizes were, they were reasonable. And, um, and then our expectations after school, we could choose to coach, we could choose to be club uh, sponsors. There was a couple of schools where you had to do one thing, you know, after school. But, but it was, there was so much going on after, after classes too to, to support students and their, their um, interests in, uh, um, just their interests in art, their interests in music, drama, certainly uh, uh, fundraising opportunities, social service opportunities, and of course, sports. Um, and so that that was one thing. And there was just, the students were always, we were the family, so they always wanted to be involved. And so, you know, the school, did, it didn't end at 315. It kept on going. And so you got to know your students in different ways, you know, just besides the classroom.
2: So. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would just add on to what Ellen was saying. Um, One of the I think one of the strengths of the uh, the schools, I think almost every school we were in was was the um, ability to do um, service programs with kids. And so we both Ellen and I um, were really involved with the Habitat for Humanity, and we did trips in um, in the Philippines, Bangladesh, um, Thailand, in South Africa. Africa. Um for um and and, yeah, in Malawi, South Africa and Southern Africa. And so that those types of trips were really um had a deep impact on both Ellen and I, and they also had deep impact on the kids because it gave them a sense of um perspective, number one. And I think number two, um, it, it went beyond sort of developing empathy. I think it really went to compassion and and when I try to think about what compassion is it's 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 not just sort of it's it's sort of having empathy but it has action involved with it so these these students were out there and they were actually you know giving their labor giving their um fundraising um, monies to help um um I'm gonna I gotta shut that off Um, Anyways, giving money um, to these organizations and they were and they were seeing things and engaging with the people in these villages firsthand. And every one of those students said that for them, that was they've never had any idea that the experience would be that deeply meaningful. And, uh, and they were sure that it would be something that would stick with them for the rest of their lives. So yeah. uh, it was a real compassion developing um, program, whether or not we were doing all that much good for the people. Um, that we were working with, we were, surely we were doing some, but I think in the, in the larger sense, it was really helping to develop compassion with ourselves. Yeah,
0: That's a good story. So what's new for the two of you um, back here in the States? I think you said you're done with the, with the international teaching. Uh, what's, what's going on now? What's new for you?
2: Yeah. So in international teaching, most many of the schools is, has a mandatory retirement age of 65. So um, we reached that last year. And um, so we, we returned to the States um, happily. Um, when, one of the things about being overseas is that you miss a lot of things, particularly with your family. So uh, we're really committed to returning to the States, even though we know many people who just stay internationally through their retirement. But we wanted to return to the states. We wanted really to be uh, to engage with our family um, uh, deeply. And, and then the other thing is, is that we have a studio in a in a gallery that we have we started back in two thousand three. That we've been um, sort of keeping limping along while we were overseas. But now we can throw ourselves into that. It's called Clay on Steel in Algoma, um, and uh, and it's been uh, it's been a great adventure for us to be back here and start getting this business really up and rolling um and and really sort of developing our our artwork
1: and we're i'm doing a lot of teaching i offer classes pottery classes and really try and and uh, kind of encourage families and friends to come and the best thing is that i'm getting grandmas daughters and grandchildren in we have seven wheels and so you know i had four three generations in in on 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 potter's wheels and it was just so sweet and guess who helps who most, <laughs> the granddaughter helping grandma. And so yeah. you see this, you know, uh, and, you know, and of course I'm helping everybody, but, but just, just to see the, the, the connection that people have when they do creative things together, you know, groups of people coming in, groups of women coming in for, before a wedding, you know, as, as a group of bridesmaids and just laughing together. And, um, and so I am really appreciating having the opportunity to continue teaching my passion which is ceramics uh, in our clay studio and gallery and so you know it, it doesn't end the the joy and the compassion and the you know the friendships it, it just it's keep, it's keep going
0: just keep it going yes. sounds like a good plan yeah well thank you very much for sharing your story of this international travel from uh gibraltar to kuwait to malaysia to singapore Vienna. Did I miss any place? Any other countries you were at?
1: Tokyo, Japan. That was. Oh
0: yeah, Japan. So that's that's some extraordinary travel. And thank you for sharing um, all your wisdom and compassion with all these wonderful children around the world. Uh, You know, it doesn't matter whether they're you know from America, American, Japanese, Kuwaiti. It doesn't matter. They're kids, and we want to love them up. So thank you very much for doing all that, and um, thank you for sharing your funny stories and for bringing your skills and talents. Uh, back to your home area, um, we'll put the notes on clay on steel and um, these organizations in case people are interested in them in the show notes. Um, but most importantly, just thank you for being educators. Thank you for um, traveling around the world. Thank you for always staying focused on what's really important. And that's our children and the love and compassion that we can share with them. So thanks uh, for being yeah. on the show.
1: And don't <laughs> great. <laughs> Don't
0: worry. Yet, though. Great. Have a great day.
1: Thank, oh, you. thank you. Okay. So long.
0: So thanks again for joining us and believing that all children are our children and that all kids deserve our intelligent compassion. And please make sure you join us again next week to hear Stephen's story. I know I've said it many times, but I will improve my Facebook skills so we can communicate better on social media. And I don't know why it's so hard for me, but it is. Um, But I'll get there because it's important. Finally, always remember, you must take care of yourself in order to take care of others. So please do that. Take care of yourself and maybe some other teachers around. And if you know of a wonderful teacher who should be on the show, send me an email. You can go to com or TheTeachersPromise.com and click on the contact information at the bottom. Take care of yourself. See you soon.